The WBEN All Local. All Local. Produced by Randy Bushover. A daily look at what's happening in Buffalo, Western New York, and the world. I'm Susan Rose. I'm Brian Mazurowski. Outside, currently cloudy skies, 38 degrees in Buffalo. Big fire lit up the sky last night near the central terminal at a construction company at 20 Milburn Street. Two alarms were sounded. Extra equipment had to be brought in. Arson is suspected. One person reportedly has been arrested. A trash pile that was set on fire included a large number of tires. Damage has been listed at $50,000. Meanwhile, a lawsuit by Lackawanna residents impacted by the 2016 Bethlehem Steel Fire is moving forward. WBEN's Brayton Wilson joins us with more. A decision was made on Friday by State Supreme Court Justice Timothy Walker to deny motions for summary judgment that was brought about by the property owners of the Bethlehem Steel site arising out of the large-scale fire that took place on November 9th of 2016 in Lackawanna. When we got the decision, we were gratified and we knew that the judge did read all the papers because the judge issued a 20-page decision that included numerous findings of fact and said there was no evidence whatsoever to support the claim that they had notified the city of Lackawanna or that Lackawanna knew that this was going to be a plastics recycling facility and that they had a chance to say what kind of safety equipment would be acceptable before this fire. That was attorney Gene Vinyl, who's representing at least 75 people in this case with the potential for more than 3,500 John and Jane Doe's to also factor in. The lawsuit claims gross negligence on behalf of nearby residents and others who say they have suffered many lung-related health issues in the years since the fire. The suit claims Great Lakes Industrial Development did not have a fire suppression system, despite the company saying its property met all code requirements. As for where this goes from here, the trial will begin in June, which will focus on liability. After the trial, Vinyl says she and her legal team might be able to make a motion to add the other people that have already contacted them in addition to others that may be eligible. The courts are the way that private individuals get to regress their grievances, even as because sometimes in the political setting, like here they have a PR firm actively telling, meeting with key government officials to placate them and to say we're going to take care of everything. And so the courts are the way where you get into the nitty gritty, you do all the discovery, and then hopefully there's justice at the end. More on the upcoming trial against the owners of the Bethlehem Steel site is available for you online. Brayton Wilson, WBEN.com News. Thanks, Brayton. Yesterday morning's crash on Main Street near Depew Avenue took the life of an 18-year-old, and four others aged 17 to 19 are hospitalized, three of them in intensive care. The crash happened shortly before 5.30 yesterday morning, forcing Main Street to be closed for seven hours in the area. The cause remains under investigation. Two major automakers responding to accusations they're not doing enough to keep their vehicles from being stolen. Andrew Dimbert here with more. Attorneys General in 23 states are blasting Hyundai and Kia, claiming the automakers have failed to address the spike in thefts of their vehicles. In Milwaukee alone, nearly 7,000 Kias and Hyundais were stolen in 2021, a nearly 800% increase in one year. The attorneys general saying for vehicles made between 2011 and 2021, Hyundai and Kia chose not to include anti-theft technology that most manufacturers include as standard. Kia and Hyundai have offered free software upgrades requiring a key to start the vehicles and making the car's alarms sound for longer. But critics say it's too little too late. They want more action. Andrew Dimbert there and Kia Hyundai with at least some response to the ongoing issue.
A suspect has been identified and charges are pending in the vandalism spree earlier this month at Russell Salvatore's Patriots and Heroes Park on Transit Road. The suspect said to be undergoing a mental evaluation and has yet to be taken into custody. Statues, light fixtures and displays paying tribute to the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier and Battle of the Bulge were destroyed. It's uh, and we heard how upset Russell Salvatore was after that happened. I mean, it was not just a little vandalism, but destruction of the area. So Absolutely. I'm sure he's happy that somebody was caught. Well, there's an agreement in place to restore hours at the Central Library as early as next week. John Spears is director of the Buffalo and Erie County Public Library. We have finalized a contract with the peacemakers, and we're in the process of setting up everything that will be necessary for us to uh, return to normal hours. Peacemakers, Pastor James Giles of the Peacemakers, on what that plan includes. We're going to uh, bring in a five-man team uh, for the purposes of engaging with youth that come into the library, and we want them to kind of utilize the library as a place where they can come in and reading, enhance, do their homework. There will be some other changes that will include limiting the number of people entering the central library after a certain time to control the people coming and going. The nation's second largest school district is closed today because workers are out on strike. Los Angeles Unified LAUSD has over a thousand schools here and over 600,000 students. A union representing workers like custodians, bus drivers, and cooks is now officially on strike and teachers are joining them in solidarity. The union wanting members to get a 30 percent pay raise. LAUSD Superintendent Alberto Carvalho says a district has given, but the union won't budge. This strike could have been avoided, but it cannot be avoided without parties at the table. And so today, parents here are scrambling for child care. Alex Stone, ABC News, Los Angeles. Tough situation to be in. Well, we're turning the page from winter to spring. If you looked out the window yesterday, you kind of it looked like spring. I, it I mean, did. I agree. Green grass. The sun out a little right, bit? it was. If you walked outside, it didn't feel like spring, but it looked like spring, at least. I mean, we're getting there slowly but surely. WBEN's Tom Puckett here with a look at an oddly snowy winter. This winter was one to remember, says National Weather Service meteorologist John Hitchcock, because of how much snow we got and when we got it. Of course, the really big mid-November lake effect event, and then the blizzard just before Christmas in December. Uh, So well over half of our snow for the entire season is from just those two events. For the season, 133.3 inches of snow fell at the airport weather station, 44 inches above normal. Meteorologist Andy Parker says don't expect Mother Nature to flip the switch into spring. We are going to get a couple of really nice days on Tuesday and Wednesday, but when we look at March going into April, it's a lot of ups and downs. Sometimes you take two steps forward and one step backward. The storm track is going to continue to favor a path right through the Great Lakes and Northeast, which puts Buffalo in kind of the battle zone between winter and spring. What about the possibility of snow into April? Find out online. Tom Puckett, WBEN.com News. Yeah, we're going to get some snow in April. Um, it, it's it always going to happen. Um, but hopefully not that much, and it'll just be like a one of those one-time things. Right, in and out, right? That's what we're hoping for. Hey, uh, spring, you know, our first full day of spring today, and it starts to look a little bit different, I think. Uh, starting today, right? It looking like a good one. Warmer and uh, everything, and we'll get to the uh, forecast in just a moment.
Did you see yesterday a change at running back for the Bills? I mean, it's not a trade, but it kind of feels like that because it's one out and one in. Devin Singletary signing with the Houston Texans on a one-year deal after spending the last four seasons with the Bills. And not long after that news broke, the Bills signing former Patriots running back Damian Harris. Harris, 26 years old, spent his first four years in New England. Get this, five of his 20 career rushing touchdowns have come against the Bills. So we don't have to worry about that anymore. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But, you know, good to have him in. He'll join uh, Hines and Cook in the backfield. Uh, So one out, one in for the Bills free agency talking running backs. Yeah. Your exclusive WBEN 7 weather forecast. Partly sunny today. Temperatures in the mid to upper 40s this afternoon. On Wednesday, mostly cloudy, a little milder. We're in the low to mid 50s. Mid 50s on Thursday with rain likely. With your exclusive WBEN 7 weather forecast, I'm Chief Meteorologist Aaron Minkowski. Joining us on the line, Erie County District Attorney John Flynn. And we're looking at what's happening in Manhattan where we're awaiting word if... There will be an indictment against former President Donald Trump. Uh, John, thanks so much for being on with us this morning. Uh, Appreciate you lending a little bit of your insight. Uh, This legally, I think, is very confusing for a lot of people. But I've heard this described multiple times as, you know, potential charges coming from an untested legal theory. And I guess part of the question of the day of the week is a former president the appropriate person to try out an untested legal theory on? Well, obviously, when you're talking about a former president, Brian, it, it raises the stakes from a number of different levels. But again, you know, you know, just because you're a former president doesn't mean that, you know, you can't be indicted if you've committed a crime. Um, now, I, you know, I don't I don't know, obviously all of the evidence in the case. Um, you know, I, I have no idea what was pre- presented to the grand jury. Uh, you know, I have no idea what kind of testimony they have or kind of, you know, uh, uh, witness statements they have. So, again, I, I can't comment, obviously, on whether or not there is enough proof here or enough evidence here. Um, I, I, you know, again, I, I would obviously want to be careful um, and make sure that, you know, I had a strong case. Um, you know, if I was planning on indicting the ex-president. I mean, you've got a former president, John, who is a Republican, and Alvin Bragg is a democratically elected Manhattan district attorney. Can you ever get away from the appearance of a politically charged prosecution? Well, you can probably never get away from it, Susan, because you're, you know, you're dealing with, you know, the ex-president here or, or any public official. You know, well, you know any time that you are prosecuting a public figure, especially someone who's involved in politics and is in the political arena, no matter what side of the aisle you're on, you're always going to have, uh, you know, criticism or, or you're going to have people looking at you um, and asking the question, you know, are you doing this based upon the evidence and the law or are you doing it for political reasons? You know, that's why it's so important that district attorneys remain out of politics when they're in office. Now, again, you know, it's tough to do, Susan, obviously, you know, I have to run, uh, you know, Al Bragg has got to run every district attorney in the country outside of a couple states like New Jersey and Delaware, uh, uh, you know, have to run for office, Uh, you know, so, but, you know, you you have to separate it where you, you run in the year that you're running 
And then once the election's over and you take over and, and start the job, you need to remove yourself from politics. And so if you're able to do that, then you can kind of ward off the criticism. I, you know, you hear the phrase a lot, right? No one is above the law, and everyone would agree. At the same time, do would you, in this case, find yourself asking the question, um, and is this a question that should be asked, is this crime or potential crime or whatever is in front of you consequential enough to do something, in this case, that's never been done before, and that's charging a former president? It obviously depends upon the, the, the you know the crime. It, it, it depends upon the evidence, uh, you know, and and it depends upon you know whether or not you 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 want to set uh, a precedent here. Uh, you know, again, when, when you say that no one's above the law, you know, I mean, I think everyone would agree with that. All right, um, you know. When, when when do you or what you know where, where's the line brian where you know it, it's not that serious enough so you let it go okay that you know that that that's kind of the criticism that i'm that i'm hearing out there is that is that you know all right you know it, it, it's it's only an election law violation or a business law violation and therefore you know it's not that big a deal and it's never been done before and so maybe it doesn't reach that line. You know, it, maybe it is criminal. Maybe it is technically against the law, but but maybe it doesn't reach that line where you do it against the ex-president. And, and that that may be the right answer. Again, I I don't know. Uh, you know, again, I don't know the facts. I don't know the evidence. I haven't heard the grand jury testimony. So, again, it, it's tough drawing that line. Like, you know, how far do you go and say no, or how far do you go and say yes? I mean, that, that's a difficult question. They're preparing for protests, John, in New York, at the Capitol, down in Florida as well. Um, we talked to an legal expert this morning, Paul Cambria, by the way, who said in his mind, this is an appearance ticket all day long. Cuffing him would be inappropriate. What do you think about handcuffing him and taking him into custody? Well, again, I I, I think that you can't. You know, if, if, if you can't make exceptions, if, if you're if you're gonna if you're gonna do it, Susan, all right. If you're if you have made the decision that you know what, a crime has been committed here, um, you know, a grand jury has come back and actually indicted someone, then you know you can't treat anyone differently. I mean, you know, I I I, I handcuff people every day. So you know, some some young African American kid. Uh, from from the from the east side of Buffalo, who I'm handcuffing, but I'm not going to handcuff another criminal uh, who who committed a crime. I mean, you know, you you got to you got to be consistent once you do it. Okay, now again, it, whether or not you do it is a whole different question. Okay, whether or not you indict and whether or not you arrest and any charge is a whole different question. And again, you can you can balance that depending on the facts and circumstances of the case. But once you go ahead and finish it and you indict. And you charge, and you arrest, and you arrest. Now you got to treat everyone the same. Um, and, and if you don't, that's when you start getting in trouble. Um, you know, to that similar uh, point, 
a lot of media coverage will be centered on, you know, kind of like the whataboutisms, right? Well, what about this person who did this and that person who did that? And, you know, this might be similar. And, you know, I'm guessing inside of a prosecutor's office, that doesn't really play out. There's no really whataboutism. You're just looking at the case. However, is there something to be said about the idea of selective prosecution uh, if there are, you know, many other instances where something similar might have happened, but it wasn't followed up in the same way. Well, we all have prosecutorial discretion, Brian. You know, it, I mean, I, I have I have the discretion whether or not to bring any case that I want before a grand jury. Uh, I, I have the discretion to uh, dismiss any case that got arrested last night. So, you know, last night, whatever West Seneca police did, Orchard Park, Amherst, City of Buffalo, you name it, if they made an arrest last night, and then now that case becomes in front of me this morning, you know, I had the power to dismiss that case and, and not, not prosecute it. Uh, you know, I, I don't do that, you know, uh, you know every day, obviously. I, 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 I'm selective when I do that, but I, I do have that selectivity to do that, and I quite frankly use that on occasion. Uh, so I think that a prosecutor needs to have the prosecutorial discretion and needs to have the you know the the selectivity to 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 prosecute cases. Now again, you have to you have to obviously balance that with the evidence uh, and the law and consistency. And so if you're doing that too much, or on the other side of the coin, when, when you say, which I disagree with, when a prosecutor comes out and says that, I'm not going to prosecute any of these cases at all, uh, whatever the subject matter may be. Like, you know, I'm not going to prosecute petty larceny cases or, or whatever. That, that's when you get yourself in trouble, when you blanket say, I'm not going to prosecute cases. But on an individual basis, on a case-by-case basis, I do think that a prosecutor needs to have that discretion. And at this stage, I mean, it's important to point out that this is looking at whether or not there's sufficient evidence, right, for a charge not guilt or innocence. Correct. So it's it's going before a grand jury, and and the grand jury is going to be charged with, uh, uh, you know, the the decision to, to, to indict or not to indict, all right? And so you're going to have the grand jury make that decision but obviously the grand jury susan the the standard of proof is different than in a, in a court you know in a court you know it's not beyond a reasonable doubt in a grand jury uh so you, you got to weigh that in too whether or not you know when, when, whenever you put a case in the grand jury you, you may be able to get it through the grand jury but that doesn't mean you're going to be able to get it you know uh in front of a regular jury and get a conviction on that so those are obviously factors that you got to consider as well you know, a lot of DAs, um, and I'm not asking you to you know, comment on anyone in particular, but generally speaking, in, in the entire United States, I, are there, you know, a couple of types of people or different ways of taking the job where, you know, I, they're, I, I'm, I'm looking at this thinking, well, there would be concern on the DA's mind that this looks like an attempt to, you know, quote unquote, get Trump. But, but I'm guessing that there are, you know, a couple types of people. There are people where that would be a concern. And then there's a whole bunch of DAs across the U.S. where uh, that, you know, wouldn't be a concern. And no matter which side of the fence politically, like, 
That's kind of what you wanted to. Like, instead of what you're saying with leave politics behind, they don't necessarily do that. Well, you should, Brian. I, 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 you're right. I mean, I, obviously, I'm, I'm the president of the National DA Association, so I know, I know DAs across the country. And uh, I, I, I strongly believe that district attorneys, uh, you know, should not be political. They, they, they should not base the decision to prosecute someone um, based upon, you know, any kind of political ideology or any type of trying to, you know, you know, put yourself in position to get another job and to run for a higher office. Uh, that, that is the last thing that you want your district attorney doing in your county. You, you want a district attorney in your county to follow the law, period, uh, and to uh, assess whether or not an individual uh, has uh, committed a crime uh, and, and broken the law by the evidence. You know, you follow the evidence wherever it leads. And if the evidence leads you to indict a president, then so be it. All right. But you, you base that decision upon the evidence. You don't base that decision upon trying to uh, um, make a name for yourself and, and, and get elected to a higher office or to appease some political group or, or party uh, into, into getting anyone. That, that, that's the last thing that you want to have your district attorney doing. John, thank you for joining us this morning. No problem, Susan. That's John Flynn, Erie County District Attorney. That's the WBEN All Local. All new episodes are made available each weekday morning. Produced by the award-winning WBEN Newsroom.